into the arms of Davis. And a superior team all season long was a superior team tonight. And the Kentucky coronation is complete. Champions 2012. Benny Snell needs five yards to break Sonny Collins' career rushing record. They give it to Benny. Straight ahead. Ten. Five. Touchdown. And a rookie record for Benny Snell Jr. of Kentucky. The All Out Kentucky Podcast. Welcome into the All Out Kentucky Podcast. Your home for the Kentucky Wildcats basketball and football program. I am your host, AJ Bradley, and I am joined, as always, by my brother and co-host, Sam Bradley. And Sam, we're going to get the show started off tonight with a little something different than what we've done in the past, as Kentucky was off. But while they were off, a lot of SEC teams were in action, and we are starting to get into the thick of this SEC play some teams are starting to cement themselves as having a chance to potentially get to that SEC championship game and possibly further. A lot of these games have implications and some good football being played around SEC countries. So we wanted to dive into those SEC games that transpired last Saturday, kind of give our thoughts on those, recap those, and kind of the state of the SEC right now and Make sure that everyone is up to date with everything, and uh, that way we can move on with the back half of this season. So I think the best place to get started is with the Tennessee Volunteers. Last week they were at home and they took on UT Martin. Um, final score ended up being fifty-six to twenty-four Tennessee. Um, that score honestly is quite misleading. The game was close for maybe a half of the first quarter where UT Martin actually was able to score on their first possession. Game was 7-7. Game got 14-7, and then UT Martin was actually driving, got stopped. Tennessee turns around straight down the field, 21-7. It was an absolute blowout after that. Um, 56-7 was the score, I think, 49-7, 56-7 at one point. Um, They called off the dogs. They put in all the backups, and UT Martin ended up scoring late um, towards the end of the game. So no competition there, kind of what everyone had expected. UT Martin is not going to offer any resistance against that high-flying offense. So just another win for Tennessee to pad their stats and keep it rolling. Next game we have is Ole Miss and LSU. And Sam... Full disclosure, this was a game that me and you had quite the discussion about off-air before this game took place last Saturday, and LSU comes away with the victory at home 45-20, to and it really was a tale of two halves. Ole Miss came out, played really well, got up to a 17 to nothing lead. They were rolling, they were taking it to LSU, and then LSU kind of hung around, hung around, hung around. Came back in the first half a little bit. We're down three at halftime. And then second half, their defense showed up, completely stopped Ole Miss. They couldn't move the football. And Jaden Daniels was special in the second half. He really made some plays. That offense is starting to come together. Uh, It only took eight weeks of the season, but Keyshawn Butte has decided to join the ranks of the college football 
players, apparently, and that offense is starting to tick up, that defense starting to tick up. And like I said, Sam, we had quite the conversation about this, and I think a lot of people might be surprised by that 45-20 to 20 score, especially with the 7-0 and record that Ole Miss has had. But what we had talked about was if you had read the tea leaves all week in the in the sports betting world, Ole Miss opened as a three-point favorite, and professional bettors all over the country were grabbing that three faster than they could have grabbed any number all season because the way they looked at it was Ole Miss realistically was quite inflated and overrated. They had not played a single tough road game up to that point of the season. They went on the road and played Colorado, which is not going to account for anything, and then their toughest game of the season was Kentucky at home. And the, for the people who watched that game, I think they realized that Kentucky should have won that football game. And so Ole Miss gets downgraded in their eyes. And so when they see that spread at three and Ole Miss has to go on the road to an LSU team who's starting to find their way under head coach Brian Kelly in that hostile environment, it really was asking a lot of Ole Miss to go in there and play a superb game for four quarters and walk away with a W. And you kind of saw how that transpired as they hung around for a half. And then in the second half, it just, they couldn't get anything going. They were really stymied. Um, so I think a lot, like I said, a lot of people might be surprised by that final score, but I really don't think it's that surprising. I think Ole Miss um, has played about as well as they possibly games coming after for through the first seven weeks, but they have a tough stretch of games coming down this back back part of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they can pick themselves back up off the mat and where they go from here. But um, overall, good 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 performance by LSU in that second half, really um, kind of cementing themselves as, hey, we're taking that step week by week and we're starting to get better because earlier in the season, offense looked out of sync you thought the best part of their team was going to be that that receiving core clearly was not. They're starting to come to life, uh, and that defense is is continuing to play better and better. So, Sam, let's bring you into the conversation, my friend, and uh, I think we're going to hop to that Missouri and Vandy game, so I'll let you take it away, my friend. Yeah, thanks for bringing us in there, AJ. Uh, you know, obviously, it was tough to, to spend a Saturday not watching the Kentucky Wildcats get after it, but at the same time, it was a bit relieving just to have a Saturday to take a breath and enjoy the college landscape, specifically within the SEC, and not have to be you know worried about the Cats' performance that day. Um, a couple of good matchups that you already touched on, obviously, that LSU Ole Miss game really stood off the page as you know most eyes were on that as Ole Miss did get their first true road test, and uh, credit to LSU. I mean, they showed out and it was a ruckus environment, obviously. It always is at Death Valley, but, you know, they come away victorious with a, a pretty resounding win as well with that second half performance. Um, you know, then we slide over, like you said, AJ, to a little more underwhelming matchup in what I consider, AJ, um, as far as like my big board goes for the SEC current power rankings, I've got Missouri second to last, and I've got Vandy last. To be honest, guys, I honestly think whoever was the home team in this matchup was going to get the W. You see that perfectly unfold with a three-point win of 17 Missouri over Vanderbilt at 14. Um, you know, realistically, both these teams are kind of struggling to find an identity. 
I think, you know, over the last couple of se- seasons, you've seen Vanderbilt try to um, almost move to a grinded out, gritty, physical, rushing offense. Um, just, you know, trying to get gritty wins and make their opponents play in an unstyled offense, basically. Um, so try to break their game down to where they're uncomfortable in their environment. Um, you know, not fully successful, able to do that against the Missouri Tigers. They they come away victoriously. Um, and, and like I said, guys, I, you know, whoever won that matchup, I thought was going to be the home team. That unfolds. And on top of that, you know, realistically, whoever lost that game, I was going to drop down to last place in the SEC, the other bump up one spot. Um, but we can kind of unfold some of those rankings there here later, AJ. But um, then I want to kind of shift to a more intriguing game, in my honest opinion, which was the South Carolina matchup at home against the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, to me, AJ, I actually thought that was a very fascinating matchup. We've got two teams in the SEC, kind of like you alluded to earlier with the Ole Miss-LSU matchup. Almost that um, that same kind of landscape where you've got two teams matched up that are kind of trending in different directions. Um, you know, with Ole Miss, it felt like you, you were almost right, trending in the wrong direction. I mean, they, they obviously had a win uh, against a very good opponent in Kentucky, obviously, but um, it wasn't a resounding win, and it was at home. And I think, like you said, it was a little like, oh, this is a little uneasy for us because we haven't truly been tested. Uh, And and then you got the same thing almost, AJ, with Texas A&M and South Carolina. Obviously, Texas A&M has had some resounding wins this year that stick off the page. But at the same time, they've been trending in the wrong direction, in my opinion. You know, they've never really truly showed that they've put it all together. They've had flashes. Um, South Carolina, on the other hand, it's a team that was extremely slept on. I'll admit it. You know, I, I probably sat on this podcast a couple of weeks ago when we were getting ready to match up with them and said, you know, this is a get right game. I, I remember saying it and look at them. They've come out and they've started to trend in the right direction. Like you kind of said, put back to back to back good weeks where they're just improving their level of uh, compete. And that's what stood out to me. You know, they get the Aggies at home. I think if they have to go down to college station I don't think they get that win, AJ, but at the same time, they get them at home. They take care of business with a 30 to 24 W. They come away with stacking yet another win. Um, you know, they're trending in the right direction within the SEC. They're currently five and two overall. Um, and, and more importantly, they're at 500 within the SEC play at two and two. So um, that's definitely what stands out to me. It was a, a pretty good matchup. And then I think the last one, obviously, to cover, guys, is the Alabama number six overall versus Mississippi State number 24 all team last week, obviously, when they did match up. They meet down in Tuscaloosa. Alabama's coming off of a tough loss to Tennessee, obviously a high-scoring affair, one of the most watched college football games of the year. And they take care of business at home. They bounce right back. Um they they get a thirty to six win over Mississippi State, and honestly, AJ, you kind of alluded to it earlier uh, when we were talking off air. But realistically, this was a similar win in the fashion of how the Kentucky Wildcats game planned against Mississippi State. I just think that Alabama was able to do it at a more efficient clip, like you kind of said, AJ, and it, it's truthfully the. the 
the fact, the nature. It's just, you know, they, they were able to put up 30 points. I would have, you know, been more impressed if Alabama was able to put up near 45, 50 points again. Um, but, mind you, I, I will say this, AJ, you, you kind of have to look at the big picture. And if, you know, Alabama's coming off of an extremely efficient week against Tennessee where they do put up 49 points, it's tough to do that in back-to-back weeks. It really is. Um, so putting up 30 at home and limiting your opponent to just six points, I think that's a resounding win. Obviously, um, Mississippi State's offense is kind of at a crossroads right now where they were considered one of the top offenses in the country. And now you're seeing them in, you know, basically two back-to-back matchups with Kentucky and Alabama where they, they look definitely deficient in, at times. So um, that's definitely what stood out to me. Alabama's right back, though. I, I think a lot of people, you know, they lose that game, and it's so easy, so easy to be like, oh, my gosh, Alabama's human. They've come down to earth, and Nick Saban has fallen off his throne, which, mind you, I, I will say in my somewhat professional opinion, I, I do think that Alabama looks different than they have in past years, AJ. I, there is a difference in this Nick Saban team versus even last year's team. There's there's no way that Nick Saban through the years should ever have a team that is giving up 49 points. I, I truthfully don't think that should ever happen. Um, but I, I do think that he's got a motivated team that is very capable of getting right back into the college football playoff and righting the wrongs, if you will. I think the last thing you want to do is sleep on Nick Saban and his Crimson Tide team. So um, I, I would keep one eye open at night if you're the rest of the SEC. Obviously, they're going to be coming for throats and making sure that they do everything they can from here on out to win out and to get back into the college football playoff. Yeah, Sam, absolutely. I think um, it's, like you said, it's easy to just pile on Alabama for losing that game. But, you know, at the end of the day, that game could have gone the other way. And then people are not saying anything about Alabama other than the fact that they're undefeated and they're better than everybody in college football. And so it's, 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 let's pump the brakes a little bit because, um, they're still a well-coached team. They're still an extremely talented team and they still have an absolute elite quarterback playing right now. So there's no reason to count them out. The one thing I will say about Alabama, and this isn't really something that's even up for debate or I'm not even, I'm not trying to give some hot take or anything, but when they've been away from home, they have struggled. There's been a lot more penalties. There's been a lot more miscommunications guys not being in their proper positions and just a lack of attention to detail that you've grown accustomed to seeing by a Nick Saban team. And when they've gone on the road, um, they've struggled. They struggled at Tennessee. They struggled at Texas. Granted, they're playing good teams on the road, but at the same time, you'd like to see that more buttoned up if you were Alabama. So um, I think they need to be careful because they do have a big game on the road at LSU later this season. And that that game possibly could determine who wins the West division and represents that division in the in the championship game. So they're going to need to, to clean some things up and make sure that they're able to go on the road and put together a good performance in order to win that game. Um, but like you said, 
there's no panic in Tuscaloosa. It's let's get back to work and continue to work on these things and, and go out there and, and, and show the country who we are. So I did just want to touch back on South Carolina and Texas A&M because I thought that that game was very interesting because as you said, Sam, two teams that are headed in complete opposite directions. And before the season with the talent accumulated through um, or with Texas A&M through their recruiting, you there were some very high expectations for this team. And they have struggled mightily this season. And I think them losing at South Carolina is is this is about the low point of their season in my eyes. And this week, if you've been paying attention, Jimbo Fisher, he's getting made fun of a little bit because he said some things about how them losing might actually help recruiting because he says that there's kids who say they see an opportunity to come here and play or whatever. It is what it is. He's trying to do his best to do some damage control from the failing to meet the expectations that the college world, college football world put on them and, and their fans. So, but here's what I will say about them. What the other thing that Jimbo Fisher did this week was he suspended a handful of players on that team and some very talented players on that team. And I, this is just my opinion. Okay. But He's been kind of talking about all season long, if you've been listening to him speak, is how I think he and other leaders on the team are getting frustrated with guys who came in here with high star ratings and no actual production or respect earned from their teammates. And they've come in here and they've tried to act like they own the place and they're the best players and they should play regardless of how hard they compete in practice and what they're putting on film. And it has rubbed the rest of the team the wrong way. And I, I, I just say that as my opinion, because I just tried to put myself in those players shoes. And if all these guys had come in and there's all this hype around it, and then not a lot of guys are playing well and they still have this cocky attitude as a guy who's been on the team for a while, you're thinking, well, what the hell? Like, this isn't, you know, what I signed up for. And I care about this program and this team. And I don't want to see us go down the tubes, you know? So going forward, I think it's actually this, these suspensions that they're giving out. I think Jimbo is sending a message to his team and they're going to come out and play different, different, not style of football, but I think you'll just see more heart and passion and a willingness to be a team and have leaders out there who are working together to kind of gel those offensive and defensive units. Obviously they're a little deficient on the offensive side of the football, but they still do have an extreme level of talent on that defensive side of the football, which can help them win football games. The reason why I bring all this up is because I actually think that they have a massive opportunity in front of them. They have Ole Miss on their schedule this Saturday, and the game is at Texas A&M. Do you want to know the last time that Texas A&M played a home game in College Station? It was 
Saturday. I think that Miami game. Saturday, right? September 17th versus Miami. They played Arkansas yep. in a neutral field. They played at Mississippi State. They played at Alabama bye week at South Carolina. Now they got Ole Miss yep. coming in wounded off a loss at LSU, who was their first big test on the road. Now they have to go at College Station for a team who's absolutely desperate, looking for any way to spark that fan base. That place is going to be out of control on Saturday, okay? I would be shocked if Ole Miss is able to go in there and get a victory. I really think that this could be quite a little bit of a turning point for AM. I'm not saying they're going to rattle off a bunch of wins, but I think this is just a desperation game for them where they say enough is enough, stop the bleeding, and some leaders are going to step up on that team. Meanwhile, you look at the opposite side of this, South Carolina. They've been quite fortunate this season. Honestly, if you watch that A&M game, I don't even think they should have won that game. They got quite lucky. They played Kentucky with a backup quarterback while Will Levis was out. And they've found their way up into the top 25 of the rankings, but they've played two. I'd say, I mean, Kentucky was obviously a tough game, which they won, but no, minus Will Levis. The other two tough games they played at Arkansas, they lost by 14, which I don't think Arkansas is, they're a mediocre team at best. And then they obviously got absolutely smashed by Georgia, 48 to seven. They've beat Charlotte, South Carolina State, Kentucky with that, with their backup quarterback making his first ever start and Texas A&M at the lowest point of their season. They now have games against Missouri and at Vanderbilt. They should be able to win those two games. They should. But I also think that Missouri could upset them this weekend and throw their season for a wrench. They should beat Vanderbilt, but then the back three games of their season at Florida, home versus Tennessee, at Clemson. They'll be lucky to win one of those games, to be honest with you. So they better do their job and win in Missouri this year, this weekend, because if they don't, they could potentially lose four out of their last five games, and then their five and two start doesn't look so great anymore. So I think they are in trouble going down the stretch, and we'll kind of see who that team really is. And if they do win some of those games, it'll be it'll be quite impressive because I don't expect them to really win any of those games down the stretch outside of the Missouri, potentially, and then they should beat Vandy. So it's just kind of interesting to see how, you know, you can't overreact to one game. You kind of look and see teams and you see their their record and you see the AP poll ranking number next to their name and all that sort of stuff and the hype and this and that. But when you really kind of strip these things down, Sam, you start to realize that, hey, some of these teams may not be actually as good as their record indicates because of the schedule that they have played. And I know people always say, oh, well, you can only play who's in front of you. And yeah, absolutely, that is the truth. Um, but to really understand who these teams are and and how good they actually are, you have to be able to separate out what they've done against, you know, bad competition, mediocre competition, in good competition, teams that are better than them, that are worse than them, are on the same level as them, play different styles of football. So um, it's just been really interesting, I think, this season to see these SEC teams go at it. Um, 
and kind of shake everything up with some teams beating each other. And then with these back end stretches of the season, a lot of teams have some very important games that are going to go a long way in deciding who gets that SEC championship game, as I alluded to earlier. Um, if you look at the West standings right now, you have LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss all tied for first place in the West with one loss. Alabama, like I said earlier, still has to go at LSU, which is going to be a big game. Bama still has to also play Ole Miss. I think they should win that game, but still, those two teams have to play each other. So there is a lot of very important games that are legitimately going to decide who wins that Western division. And on the opposite side with the East, it's it's basically Georgia and Tennessee at the top right now, obviously, with both of those teams being undefeated. Um, but here is the thing. Kentucky, Georgia, and Tennessee, none of them have played each other. So Tennessee now has a home game versus Kentucky this week, and then they play at Georgia the next week. So Georgia will play Tennessee, and then two weeks later, we'll go on the road and play Kentucky. So obviously, Kentucky has to win both of those games to give themselves any chance at getting to the SEC championship game. Um, so we will have to see how all of that stuff plays out. But like I said, a lot of really crucial football to be played. And I think this next four to five game stretch is really going to determine um, you're really going to understand who all of these teams actually are. And you're really going to be able to kind of look at them when you take a step back and say, okay, they really weren't that good. And, you know, they struggled at times, but they really figured it out towards the end of the season. And I, I am really just excited to kind of watch how all of this unfolds and see how these teams are able to res respond to some adversity and, and how some of these teams are able to handle some of the success that they've been having and, and if it's actually sustainable, Sam. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're about to find out a lot about each team. Um, obviously, our main concern is this Kentucky Wildcats football program. I mean, um, you know, obviously you alluded to it, but we've got Tennessee on the road this upcoming weekend. And obviously not too far out in the distance, we've got Georgia at home. So um, it, it's going to definitely um, show our character and our adversity that we faced this year. Obviously, some highs, some lows. Um but now it's time to build off of everything that we've done efficiently so far and prove that we are a contender in this um, SEC, you know, contention right now. So, you know, it's going to be an exciting finish to the year. Um, everything is still on the table. I mean, for, for a lot of these teams, obviously, AJ, on both the West and the East side, there's a few teams that you named that are all fighting desperately to finish out a very successful season within the SEC conference, which is um, by no means an easy accomplishment. Obviously, we're sitting a little back, obviously, with Georgia and Tennessee being both undefeated in conference play, and we are tied currently with South Carolina with two losses. Obviously they have the head to head over us, but um, time will tell AJ for, for all these programs, what they're actually made of and how they can respond with some of these bright lights that are about to be shining down on our programs. I think obviously it's, it's no secret that this upcoming matchup and we'll get to it guys, but is probably the brightest lights that I can remember 
that Mark Stoops and his Kentucky Wildcats program will be under. I mean, we're talking about prime time, nationally televised, down in Tennessee against the number three team in the country. I mean, for for everything that has been hyped up against or behind this uh, Tennessee Bulls team, this is going to be shining equally as large on this Kentucky football program. I mean, um, no one really is giving um, – it, it's a large-scale game, that is for sure. Yes, sir, Sam, and I appreciate you helping me uh, recap all the listeners and everybody on what transpired in week eight of the SEC season and kind of how things look um, throughout the landscape of the SEC as far as the rest of the season is concerned. You did kind of touch on the massive game we have down in Knoxville this weekend. We are going to preview that in just a few minutes, but before we get there, we want to switch gears just a little bit and kind of touch on that um, was awesome to see uh, transpire just a few days ago. And that was the blue and white scrimmage that the Kentucky men's basketball team puts on every year before the start of the season. Um, always happens after Big Blue Madness, kind of that second kickoff to say, hey, we're, we're almost there. Um, as we record here on Wednesday, the 26th, I actually, um, look down. I have a countdown timer going for the start of the college basketball season. We are 12 days away, 12 days away from the start of the college basketball season. So, um, we cannot wait. But, um, as far as the blue and white game goes, um, to be honest, Sam, I'll I'll let you touch um, on some of the play um, that that transpired. Um, I know we had a few guys out as well, so so you can touch on that. Uh, I I just wanted to say a few things about the overall game itself. And if you were unaware, the team actually moved the game away from Rupp Arena. They traveled to Eastern Kentucky um, into Pikeville. And they hosted the game at the Appalachian Wireless Arena. And the the purpose of this was um, they took all of the money that they had made from the game and were donating it back to uh, flood relief funds for Eastern Kentucky as they are still um, trying to recover and start to rebuild their towns and cities and, and just get their lives back on track. And um, first off, I just wanted to say, if you've been following the team throughout the, the off season, I think it's been very apparent that um, as soon as this flood happened, this is something that the players have taken to heart and are really passionate about and they want to serve their community and help their community because they understand that they're in a position that allows them to do that. Right. And, um, for me, Sam, uh, I think this just really says a lot about the character of our program, of our head coach, John Calipari, and of the young men who comprise this Kentucky men's basketball team. And, you know, I think a lot of people won't pay much attention to it. Um, but to me, this is kind of the foundation of who we are as a basketball program and who Kentucky is as a university and especially within their athletics department. 
it, it is just awesome to see those kids want to do that sort of thing and want to help and continue to open the dialogue with their coach and being able to have him help them and put them in position in areas where they can go and service the community. And it really is all about the community, Sam, because they're building a relationship and a bond within the community of Kentucky, within Lexington and out to Eastern Kentucky. And you saw that with the fans who showed up for the game. I mean, if you were on Twitter, you saw the picture that John Calipari tweeted out of the guy who came straight from the coal mines to the basketball game to meet his wife and kids there so they could sit down and watch the blue white scrimmage because they don't ever get out to Rupp Arena, right? And John Calipari t- posts on Twitter and he says something about how their family started to to grow here in America was by working in the coal mines. And so it he kind of, you know, came from the heart and he had just said that, hey, this was something I saw this guy sitting there in the stands and it just had an overwhelming effect on me. Well, obviously, BBN tracks this guy down. He's now going to be able to come to a game with his family. Um, and it's just, I think you kind of see, like I said, that's just that community connection that this team is all, like, it's it's always been there. But then let's talk about just this specific team. The this, this season hasn't even started and they're already building this bond with the community. And so that support throughout the season is just going to be, I mean, you know how it always is with BBN, but, you know, I think these are the things where it's like, you know, people get so focused and so caught up in the fact that we lost our first round game in the tournament. And obviously we never want that to happen. But when you look at the overall landscape of our team and our program, I mean, you couldn't have, you, you couldn't ask for a better group of men, a better group of leaders, and uh, a program that's built on the right foundation. And I think that that is going to go hand in hand with kind of the chemistry that this team is building together off the court and how that's going to translate on the court. And uh, the last thing I will say is, Sam, when we get down to March, I want you and everyone else to remember this conversation that we're having right now, because when the times get tough and things don't look like they're going to go our way and we get smacked in the face with some adversity, I think that these moments and these bonds that the players are building with each other, with each other and being able to be um, of service to others and be that servant leader that John Calipari always talks about. I think that bond and that trust that the team's going to build is going to go a long way in being um, part of their success this season. So like I said, we'll have to, we'll have to put a pin in this conversation and just remember it. Like I said, when, when times get tough. Yeah, no, absolutely. AJ. And you're so right. I mean, it's almost like, after you unfold it for our listeners and for those of you that didn't hear the story about uh, Michael McGuire sitting on the, the court side with, you know, just covered in soot from being in the cold uh, underground in the coal mine all day. I mean, it's just a beautiful story. And obviously the, the deep connection that Coach Calipari had to that exact scenario with obviously his upbringing here in America um, with his family history. It just it touched a lot of hearts. It touched all of BBN. Um and I think with everything that you put in consideration, AJ, that so engulfs 
who this team is and what this program is stands for and what we're built on. Um, you know, we can talk about the numbers of the game all day long and the standout players. And but at this point, guys, we know how good our team is. We we do. But AJ, I think how you just tied that in is the most important takeaway we can possibly have leading into our season. The Kentucky Wildcats team has already had some incredible opportunities to be those servant leaders and develop these connections with one another and their communities that is going to elevate their play both on and off the court, but just in life. Because, you know, at first, AJ, we see this Kentucky Wildcats basketball program go down to the Bahamas and be servant leaders and wash the feet of some of the community down there and just really give back and immediately recognize that they are of the highest privilege and they have an opportunity to play in front of some of the best fans. And then they come back and this horrible disaster happens in Eastern Kentucky where hundreds of lives are lost and homes are torn apart and they raise over millions of dollars in relief funds initially. Then not only do they move the blue and white game to Eastern Kentucky and Pikeville, they also take all the proceeds from that event, 160000 and they put the cherry on top and they give all that money to the flood relief. And that's that's a shout out to Big Blue Nation, AJ, and to all of you listeners. I mean, seriously, guys, it, it, it makes me feel so honored to be a part of a program and a fan base that is so structured on what's most important. And I know we're crazy and we're passionate. And like AJ said, there's going to be times throughout this season, throughout the football season remaining, throughout the upcoming basketball season where we're going to lose our cool and we're going to have a hard time remembering what's most important in life. But I think this is as important as anything is to take a second and reflect and just look at the amazing work that John Calipari and this basketball program are doing for the state of Kentucky and it, it just makes me very humbled and very proud to be a part of it all. Um, you know, it, it's it's exciting, and I, I truly do agree with you, AJ. I think the level of connection these players have to not only each other, but Coach Calipari, I, I think they are going to have this just crazy edge this year, AJ. And maybe I'm too close to it, so maybe we need an outsider's perspective. But I truly believe that this Kentucky Wildcats basketball team will have a different mindset going into the year. And, and I, the last thing I'll say about it, AJ, and then we can move to this Tennessee game, is Coach Calipari talked about how you know his family was kind of breaded in the state of Kentucky and Western or West Virginia with uh, his great grandfather's history in the coal mines. And one said, one thing he said is he did a tour um, years ago in the exact same coal mine that Mr. McGuire, the, the gentleman that was sitting on the, the side of the court, um, works in currently. And he got to go down in the coal mines. And, um, you know, at one point he was in like the small crawl spaces. And if you guys have already heard this story, then so what, I'll beat it to death. But um, he said he was in the small crawl space, about three to five feet. So you have to get down and like crawl through. And, um, you know, one thing coach Cal asked the the guys that he was with is what happens if like one of you has to go up and go to the restroom or is getting claustrophobic or, you know, what do we do in those scenarios? And, you know, the gentleman answered to him and he said, you know, we go down together and we come up together. That's it. it, it like we, this is life or death. 
we are a team when we're down here and we have to rely on one another. And, and if one person goes up, we're all going up because you can't have someone falter and not be there for them and save their life in those moments. And he said he immediately threw that in the Kentucky Wildcats hallways throughout the facilities and just said, that's going to be our mantra this year. And AJ, I got chill thinking about that. I, I, yeah, I, I think the unity that this team has and will have and the foundation that they have built themselves on uh, this offseason and obviously the two selfless leaders in John Calipari and Oscar Sheepway, I think the sky's the limit for this team this year. Uh, realistically, what is there more to be excited about 12 short days away other than potentially this upcoming matchup this Saturday under the lights against Tennessee? I mean, let's say we've got the li- listeners waiting long enough. Let's stop that we've got. Absolutely, Sam. I think it is about that time. You know, um, we got to talk about it. It's it's the game we've all been waiting for. Obviously, with Tennessee having beaten Alabama with the perfect record, undefeated, top three rated team in the country. We're going on the road. Um, as you said earlier, this might be the brightest the lights have ever shown on a Mark Stoops-led Kentucky Wildcats football team. So with that being said, let's dive in to the preview of the Kentucky Wildcats versus the Tennessee Volunteers. Sam kind of alluded to this earlier, but I would say overall consensus around the country is that Tennessee is too good and Kentucky does not really have much of a shot to win this football game. If you are going off of the Vegas lines and the sportsbooks lines for this football game, you're looking at Kentucky as um, right around a 12 and a half point underdog and a over under that I believe is sitting right around 63 points as well. 63, 63 and a half. So, you know, obviously the odds makers think that Tennessee should be able to win by almost two touchdowns on their home field. So, I think this kind of poses the question, a realistic question, because obviously all of Big Blue Nation out there, and this is why we absolutely love you all, is you all believe that we are going to win this football game, and I am not trying to discourage you from that whatsoever, because I have a tremendous amount of faith in this football program. And I think we can go on Saturday and get this W. But I think for us to try to understand, we may have to do in order to be able to pull the upset on the road this Saturday is to have a conversation and kind of understand that the way that um, I talk about some things may be more um, as it pertains to kind of this notion of we are almost a two touchdown underdog on the road. So I guess when I'm talking a little bit, it may be more of 
how are we going to be able to stay within this number, keep this game close, and ultimately how we could potentially win this game because I don't think there's any value in me coming out here and telling you that we're going to win and here's how we're going to win. And um, so what I'd rather do is just um, be able to preview this game the best way that I can and, and try to give you guys some insight into what we see this game. So I think the best place to start for us is to start with the descent defensive side of the football for the Kentucky Wildcats as they have their most challenging test to date against this Tennessee volunteer offense. And if you have been watching Tennessee play all year, you have seen a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who has looked about, if not better than any other quarterback in the country. Um, he can make every single throw on the football field. He can stretch you deep. He can hurt you with your legs. And Tennessee has a potent group of wide receivers. Um, Jalen Hyatt, the last couple of weeks, has really started to cement himself as a go-to guy for Hendon Hooker and has a lot of explosiveness as well as a lot of other players on that offense. I mean, if you look at Tennessee's offense, um, they, as of right now, are in, if you look at their, their metrics, there's adjust. That's also factoring in schedule adjusted efficiency. So basically if you waited out every single college football F FBS team, and then you were able to look at all of their, offensive stats and then be able to also factor in the teams that they've played. There's only one team in the country who has graded out as more efficient than Tennessee and that's Ohio state. So when I say that we have our biggest test to date, as far as our defense goes, I really do mean this. We are playing an absolute lethal offense in Tennessee and one that has just been getting better and better and better and better as the season's gone along. I mean, you saw it two weeks ago when they played Alabama. I mean, not a lot of teams go out there and score 40 plus points on Alabama. You have to have a lot of talent on that offensive side of the football and they give them credit. They did a really good job of being able to go out there and um, attack Alabama where they were their weakest in the secondary and really kind of force them uh, to play a game in which was, you know, we're just going to go back and forth and kind of see who scores last, um, which is not the game that Kentucky wants to get into with Tennessee. So what does Kentucky have to do on the defensive side of the football to slow down Tennessee? Obviously, their passing attack, like I just stated, has been absolutely bonkers this year, um, but their run game has also been consistent. And a lot of what you will hear this week from people talking is about how this Tennessee offense at this high-tempo, up-tempo offense. Um, Sam, this is something that we had touched on a couple weeks prior when we talked mm -hmm. about 
Kentucky going down to play at Ole Miss. And so I think you can kind of use some of that experience of the way that Ole Miss was able to get their plays off so quickly. The difference between Tennessee and Ole Miss is Ole Miss was completely based around the run, whereas Tennessee can beat you either way. And so they don't have to rely on that run game like Ole Miss to then open up the pass game. And so we're about to face an offense that can beat you through the ground, can beat you through the air, and can score from absolutely anywhere on the field. I mean, they get down in the red zone, they're almost automatic from their scoring points And I'm not just talking about field goals. I'm talking touchdowns, okay? They are extremely efficient in the red zone, getting into the end zone and not settling for three. And then they are also one of the best teams in the country at creating explosive offensive plays. I think they might be number one in the country at plays of over 25 or 20, 25 plus yards. So they, like I said, they can score from anywhere on the field. They can throw the ball really deep. Hooker is extremely accurate when he throws the ball deep. His receivers do not need a ton of separation to still be able to go out there and make a catch and make a play. Um, But then again, they are also some very good receivers who have been able to create a lot of that separation this year. Um, If you go back and look at a lot of the throws that Hendon Hooker has been making this season, I'm not taking anything away from him, but um, you know, there's a lot of wide open receivers out there. And that obviously has to do with the success they've had in putting defenses in conflicting positions. And then um, just the way that they can kind of pour it on you and um, it's just, you know, they can get out there in a hurry. So for our defense, you know, you you look at that. And Sam, this is something we've brought up multiple times this year and something that we touched on in um, the preview of our season. But, you know, we had kind of talked about how the secondary was the area oh, yeah. of concern. And then that has grown throughout the year. And you've seen just massive improvements. The one thing I will say is the step up in class our defense is about to take is one they haven't seen this year. We have not played a passing offense that is anywhere near what Tennessee is capable of. So with that being said, I think it is extremely imperative for our defense and our secondary, especially for our secondary, the the plays, the explosive plays over the top of your head, those have to be limited. They're going to try to stretch the field on you. They're going to take shots. They're not going to not throw it deep. Okay. So our secondary needs to communicate, make sure there's no broken coverages and make sure that we're not creating all sorts of contact and getting pass interference penalties as they chuck the ball 40, 50 yards down the field because them moving the ball down the field extremely quickly and scoring on us is the exact opposite. It's just, we're going to learn a lot about what our secondary is, Sam. I think, like I said, you've seen a lot of improvement and growth and consistency back there. But at the same time, like it's just this is an entirely different animal. But I'm excited for it because I'm honestly really intrigued to kind of see how far along this secondary unit has become. Because if you think back to last year, I mean... Kentucky could have won that football game. Our secondary couldn't do anything to stop Tennessee. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we just weren't able to score enough points 
to win that football game. A pick six kind of changes the game for them, um, swings the momentum. But at the end of the day, you know, I think if, if we, you know, a guy or two in the secondary there that make a play in that game and you never know what can happen. So obviously I think yeah. we're, we're much more well equipped to handle that passing attack this year. Um, you just hope that Kentucky doesn't, there isn't a shock to the system and they're not able to kind of find their way in the game. Hopefully they can come out and be able to cement themselves right away as, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to get some stops along the way. We're not just going to let you walk, go waltz down the field and, and score every single possession and, and put a beating on us. So starting with the mm-hmm. secondary, they've got to play very good in coverage linebackers i i don't think i need to say a whole ton there i you know jacques jones is not going to be out there it's unfortunate um but deandre square jj weaver you expect them to play well and i think for them it's just about setting the tone with hits and tackling sam this is something we talked about for the last two weeks the tackling in the south carolina game was no good the south the tackling in the mississippi state game was superb listen they're going to complete passes on us, okay? They have athletes everywhere, and Hooker is completely dialed in with these guys, and he is throwing the ball extremely efficiently, okay? So when they do catch the ball, it is extremely important and imperative for us to tackle, okay? Stay in good position and make the tackle. Keep them in front of you. If they catch the ball and you make the tackle you know, there's no yardage after the catch. They're not busting it loose for some big touchdown or, or creating these explosive plays. So I think for our linebackers, a lot of it is really just, you know, you're going to be tasked with kind of keeping an eye on Hendon Hooker because obviously his his mobility is an area of concern for a defense. He is a very good pocket passer, and I think that's what they would like to have him do. They don't want to have to rely on his legs. His legs are more of something that when the play breaks down, he then can hurt you with your, with the legs, which is a complete backbreaker for your defense when you have them pinned up and you're about to get a stop for a punt. And then the quarterback takes off and runs for a first down and extends the drive. So keeping an eye on him as the linebackers are concerned and then also being able to play that coverage in the um, intermediate zone um, while on defense and being able to set the tone with the tackling you know Um, and then as you move up front to the defensive line for Kentucky I think played all you're going to have to see the best game that our defensive line has played all season. You're going to have to find a way mm-hmm. to get pressure on Hendon Hooker and find a way to get him off his spot and make him uncomfortable. Like I said, he is going to complete passes. He barely throws interceptions, so I wouldn't even be trying to bank on that. It's just play the coverage, make the tackles, avoid the explosive plays, and then find a way to get pressure on yep. Hendon Hooker. I have confidence in our run defense. I think it's been pretty good this year, to be honest with you. I think that we have an opportunity to really get after their offensive line. And if we can make them more one-dimensional, you know, you don't want to have to sit there and defend a bunch of passes from Hendon Hooker all day. But at the same time, if you're forcing them into a position where you know they have to pass and you can set your defense to that every time, I feel like we can still have some success because um, we've proven that this year. So um, 
all three levels of the defense obviously need to play well. We need to have our best outing of the season. During the bye week, you hope that Brad White and this defense have dialed in and potentially maybe added a few wrinkles here and there, try to give some look to Tennessee that they may not have seen on film from you this year, try to get Hendon Hooker confused. Like I said, you're going to have to find a way to create some havoc, to speed him up, and to really make his life a little uncomfortable. And that is the way that I see our defense being able to make some stops to be able to keep us in this game. So Sam, I've talked enough about this side of the ball. I want to get your thoughts. What do you see as the key matchups, the game within the game, and what goes into this matchup of this high-powered Tennessee offense versus a defense in Kentucky that is a little unproven? but has played well and has their biggest test ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest, AJ. You broke it down beautifully, I think. There's uh, definitely some keys that we um, heard you call out that are, are my kind of keys as well, AJ. Um, it's no surprise. Tennessee likes to keep their offense in a high-tempo, high-paced type of uh, offense, and, and it's going to be difficult. It's nothing that we've seen. I, I know you made the comparison to Ole Miss, AJ, and it's good that we can kind of fall back to that experience, but at the same time, I know the last two weeks the coaches in practice have been um, very honest and open about how it's hard to replicate that with your scout team, and they know that it's even more potent and even faster than Ole Miss's pace. So it, it's going to be an extreme challenge. I like the way that you kind of broke it down. Obviously, to some extent, to be able to stop a potent, highly efficient offense like this, is to slow them down to some degree. Um, got to limit uh, the over-the-top explosive play. Also, one thing that I've got to add, AJ, is if you watch a lot of Tennessee's games, what they like to do on offense is they spread their wide receivers out to both opposite ends of the field. If you watch on Saturday, you'll see it quite often. They'll take two wide receivers and they'll put one on one side of the field and one on the other. What they then like to do is run in routes with their other wide receivers and tight ends because what you have to do is have to put someone out there to defend them. So that uh, honestly has to put your defense into a man-to-man coverage out there. You can throw some additional support, but then what they like to do is break down zones on outs, which is where you see a lot of the yak, the yards after the catch, where you get some of these explosive wide receivers the ball in their hands, and then they're off to the races and man-to-man or zone coverages through those seams. And, and, I mean, you saw a ton against Alabama, AJ. Those plays in front of us, and then it really truly does come down to what you said, AJ. It's tackling. You cannot let those five-yard in routes, those slant routes, go for 20, 30 to the end zone 60-plus catches where now we're sitting there and they haven't even beat us over the top a very very efficient run game i know you alluded to it aj it's good they have a decent run game i I don't think it's something that they put their hats on but that in the same way opens up the bigger plays that that's a lot of the pro style offense that a lot of nfl teams are doing nowadays where they open up the deeper options through 
the shorter downed slant routes, in routes, stop and go routes, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it's going to be an extreme challenge, but I think the biggest thing right now, guys, is tackling, and we have to win these one to, these one-on-one matchups. It's going to put us in a lot of island scenarios. We have to win those matchups. You said it best, AJ. We're about to find a lot out about this secondary and this Kentucky Wildcats defense. We've had two weeks for Brad White to scheme up as best of a package as we possibly can put on the field to try to limit this highly potent Tennessee offense. We don't have to completely shut them down, AJ. We really don't because we'll get to the other side of the football because we'll be able to put some points up on this Tennessee defense, but we have to limit them. I think the mentality has to be, AJ, we can bend, we cannot break. I know you mentioned it, but they're extremely efficient in the red zone. But if they can get down into the red zone and we can keep them in front of us and we can limit them a couple of trips to just three points, that is the recipe for how we put our our team in a position where we can make a late game push and potentially steal this game right from out underneath them in their own barn. It's no easy task, but I know these Kentucky Wildcats are up for the challenge. Truthfully, AJ, even the way you broke it down, the way I've heard it being broken down by even the national media, where the bets are going, obviously, it's no surprise. Nobody realistically is giving the Kentucky Wildcats a chance on Saturday night. I I think, you know, not to be a homer, I I think, honestly, we have a better chance than what we we are being given. It's no easy task. We're going to up against probably one of the best, if not the best, offenses in the entire country and their home stadium. However, this is the time that Mark Stoops lives for. They're all talking about this Georgia game, AJ, yet they have an extremely difficult matchup with the Kentucky Wildcats. I I would love to spoil their season. I would love it more than anything. And I think... We're trying to give you guys, obviously, what are keys to be able to do that. AJ was honest. He said, I'm not going to say we're going to walk up in there and we're going to win, and here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we need to limit their offense with our defensive effort. We think we are going to put up some points against this Tennessee defense that has looked through pretty consistently throughout the season as a bottom tier, if tops, mid to average defense in the entire country. Yeah, Sam, I think um, just real quick before we get into the offense, I think just to hammer home the point for everybody, um, what you said just a couple minutes ago, this isn't about Kentucky going out there and shutting down Tennessee, okay? We're, let's be realistic here, all right? You don't just shut down a high-flying top two, okay? We are talking about what can our defense do in order mm-hmm. – to get a few stops here and there along the way, okay? Yep. You never know. They might put the ball on the ground at some point. You hit a guy hard, you get a strip, and go for it. On a f- Now it's your ball, almost like a turnover. Yep. Um, you force them into a field goal where you, you, know, you stop them in the red zone and the guy shanks one off the goal post, okay? There's, we're just talking about a few stops here and there, and being able to give our offense a chance to score enough points to win the game. Because if we don't get any stops on defense, I don't care what our offense does. We're not going to win. Okay. We're just not because there's, we're not getting into 
a 48 to 45 shootout like that again. That's just not where we want to play this football game. And I'm not saying we're trying to play it 13 to 10 by any means, but um, <laughs> I, I think everyone who looks at this game and starts to try to break it down or handicap it or, or whatever the case may be, you realize that this isn't where there's no, somebody's just going to shut down Tennessee. It's just find the, find right. a way. Can Kentucky find a way to make enough stops to keep their offense in the game? And yep. as we get to that offensive side of the ball, there's just one key thing that I wanted to point out, Sam, because I've been looking back through the Kentucky games and the Tennessee games in preparation for this one. And something that really stuck out to me, stuck out to me as far as Tennessee goes. And they are one of the best teams in the country at scoring the ball at the end of the first half, then coming out in the second half and scoring again. Okay. They have done that at a high clip this season. And it, if you think about it, Sam, I mean, you can even go back to the days where me and you would sit there and watch the Patriots with Tom Brady. That was the Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady special. Mm-hmm. You defer the kickoff, you score before halftime, you come out of the locker room, you get the ball to start the second half, you go score again. 14 point yep. swing, right? Tennessee has been extremely good at that. What is one thing that Kentucky has shown a vulnerability of this season is the first possession coming out of the half if the other team gets the ball first, okay? We have not been great on that possession in in a decent amount of our football games this year. So something to pay attention to just as you're watching this game. I think the last let's call it three minutes, three to four minutes of the first half in the first three to four minutes of the second half could go an absolute long way in determining who the winner of this football game is. That new to keep themselves in this football game. But if you allow them to go and score end of half, start a second half, it's going to be almost near impossible to dig yourself out of that. So with that being said, Sam, let's hop over to this offense and I'm going to throw it back to you and kind of um, go up against this UT defense. And I know you kind of touched on it before, um, but you seem to be pretty optimistic that you think we can have some success. So if we are going to have some success, how are we going to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, AJ, it's... It's not a terrible matchup for the Kentucky Wildcats offensively against this UT defense. I mean, I, I know we uh, talked about it, but they are no, you know, highly stouted, greatly respect defense. I mean, they're very mid and there's ways to exploit that. I think part of the reasoning, AJ, that they are so such an average defense is because, gosh, they're forced to be out there nonstop with the, the way their offense scores. I mean, um, you know, Tennessee putting up 50 points a game does not help their defense efficiency just due to the, the peer level of that. You know, their their defense is out there way more than the average defense in the rest of the nation. So you kind of have to factor that in. However, the one thing that I will say is glaring when you break down their defense is their seconds. And I think that's where 
it's kind of the dilemma for the Kentucky Wildcats because the way I'm going to break this down, and I'm sure, AJ, if I had to go into your mind knowing you, you're probably going to do the same thing. Our opportunity when you break down their defense, AJ, is throwing the football and exploiting their very poor secondary to where a lot of other teams have proven it's very efficient um, to be able to go that route. I, I think, obviously, the media... If you, you tune into ESPN, if you tune into some of these talking heads, it's Will Levis has to have the game of his career and has to go out there and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and be a Heisman candidate for Saturday night. And that's how Kentucky wins this football game because that's what Tennessee will give you. However, the most important thing to me, AJ, is what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, and that's the balance, AJ. I know Tennessee actually has a decent, decent defensive defense, where or defensive, sorry, rushing defense, where they actually are, are ranked within the top 50 for rushing defense. However, they're well outside the top 100 in um, passing defense. So what I think our opportunity, AJ, is keep the ball on the ground for as much as we can. I know our opportunity is to limit how many times Hendon Hooker and that Tennessee offense has the ball in their hands. If we can drain this clock down, AJ, I think that's our biggest opportunity. You limit their opportunities on offense by us having these draining drives. If you look at what we were talking about earlier, Tennessee averages the most plays per minute. And I know that's like everyone's sitting here talking about like that's the biggest number ever. No one ever paid attention to that. However, it is something to note because Kentucky has the fewest plays per minute in all of college football. It's just kind of an ironic matchup where you've got such different styles and that's where we need to drive. No Tennessee to get the ball back within two minutes of play with three and outs. That's just unacceptable. We've got to keep the ball in Chris Rodriguez's hands. I'd be happy with 30-plus carries, AJ, just like we did before the bye. I, I want a very balanced attack, and I think that's the only way we can. We go up against this Tennessee offense and try to play Tennessee-style football. What ended up happening? They lost. They, they proved, though, AJ, that they could keep up, but at the end of the game, it's just not quite enough, and they lose at Tennessee. Had that been at home, maybe it's different. But at tennis, we have to play Kentucky-style football, which is ground and pound, drain the clock, have efficient drives. And when we get into the red zone, I know they've been stressing it all week and all last week, we have to be efficient. We have to know when to strike, where to strike, and be efficient and get six points. Out of it's very possible if we can keep the ball in our hands and protect that football. If we have... The Russian attack, that, like we've been building these last couple of weeks, I really do think that's the best recipe for this Kentucky Wildcats to put themselves in a position where they're able to actually potentially win this game late in the fourth quarter. What about you, AJ? What kind of sticks out? Yeah, Sam, I think um, for me, the first place that I went to as far as this Tennessee defense was the same place you did, and is that they're vulnerable in the secondary, right? And, um, you also had mentioned the fact that, you know, their defense kind of gets put into a lot of situations where they go right back on the field because of the explosiveness of the offense. Right. And so 
you know, obviously their efficiency metrics and everything and their total defense rankings and all that, all that sort of thing aren't going to be necessarily extremely high. Um, but one thing I will say about this Tennessee defense is what the offense allows the defense to do is the offense scores at such a prolific rate that it allows their defense who I think, you know, I think if you were to ask those defensive coaches on that team off the record, what they thought about their secondary, I think they'd tell you there's much, much to be desired. Um, But they're not going to say that publicly. So what I think you see is a defense that is very aggressive. Okay. A defense that has blitzed at a high rate this season, a defense that is willing to take chances and, you know, try to send some different blitzes and and do some different things in order to cause some, some havoc and um, commotion around the quarterback and try to force some turnovers. And one thing they have been able to do this season is create a lot of negative plays. And like I said, I think a lot of that has to do with the nature, the aggressive nature of their defense, because, you know, if I were on that defense, I'd just be going after the quarterback nonstop because even if we get scored on, it's like, okay, got the our, prayer. our exactly. offense is going to go right back out there and score again. So it's like, all we really got to do is make like a big play here and there. And we're going to give our offense enough playing where they're in call. But that you kind of pinpointed this um, place that we're at with the Kentucky offense, because we are not a team that's going to go out there and chuck the ball around the field all game, even if that is where your defensive weakness is, right? And I think you've heard the coaches from Kentucky and even quarterback Will Levis talk all week, and you know they, they continue to talk about just being who we are. And you just brought that up, Sam, and I think that balance on offense is pass game. Oh, we have to be great in the run game. I think it is that balance that you need as far as an offense to give yourself the best to put yourself in the best position to go out and score points. I don't necessarily think that this has to be a game where you want to focus so much on, Hey, we have to just control the clock. Our defense is better than it was last year. So I don't think this is a game where you have to say, Oh, if we don't control the clock, there's no way we're going to be able to score enough points to win. I think this is more about just playing your style of football. And also, I'm looking at our offensive coordinator, Rich Gangarello, to be a little bit more flexible this week. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think the whole country knows we want to run on first down, we want to run on second down. If we get a big run on first down with a short second down, we may try to, you know, throw in a play action and. I think people understand what we're trying to do. I think we need to just switch it up a little bit, Sam, and be more unpredictable in what we're trying to do on early downs as far as up every single time. And they know we're going to run on first down and they're playing us and we're running inefficiently on first down and we're creating these long down and distances for ourselves. It's just going to give them more ammunition to come after us because they know that we're trying to pass at that point. So I'm not saying that we can't run the football on them. I think we can have success running the football on them. I just think that 
for me, you can't just be this stubborn offense that says we're going to run it every time on first and second down. We're just going to do exactly what we do and we're not, you know, be adaptable, be flexible, be balanced, be who you are, but be able to, like I said, have those little bit of a wrinkle here and there to keep Tennessee off balance because I think I really do think that our offense can have some success and be able to spread, um, potentially being able to to keep us within the money line, the win, which is what we're all here for, right? Um, turnovers, Sam, have been a issue this year for our offense. This is a game where a turnover from your offense will be absolutely magnified. You turn the ball over, Tennessee will strike and score off your turnovers. We have to avoid the turnover being able, or yes, we have to avoid the turnover and not give them the ball in a shortened field and put our defense in a bad position and give their offense even more opportunities than they're already going to be given throughout the course of the football game. No turnovers. Continue to play your balanced style of offense. And on offense, we've talked about the offensive line a bunch this season. They continue to grow into their own, Sam. I'd like to see them continue to play even better this week than they did two weeks ago. Should have some rested bodies up front there with the bye week coming into this game. And like you said, Sam, I don't think Will Levis needs to go out there and be some sort of savior who goes out there and throws the ball all over and has to throw for an insane amount of yards and touchdowns and all these things. It's, it's no. Go out there, run the offense, communicate with the players, make sure that the crowd noise is not affecting what's going on, avoid the pre-snap penalties, and then be physical. I think a lot of this football game comes down to us imposing our will and being physical, okay? You'll see that in the style in which Chris Rodriguez runs, and I'm I'm excited to see him set this tone and try to run over a Tennessee defender the first time he touches the ball trying to take me down. So I think finding that rhythm early for that Kentucky offense, being balanced, potentially hitting on some plays early, um, getting going. And then, Sam, we have to be able to convert touchdowns in the red zone. We've come up short this season. Um, We can't afford to stall out in the red zone and then potentially miss a kick. We talked about that with their offense. On the other side, we cannot afford those sorts of mistakes. So we are going to have to play the best offensive game that we have played thing for our offense. We have seen the progress over the last couple of weeks with getting Chris Rodriguez back, continuing to shore up that offensive line and build that cohesion. Will Levis even talked about it himself this week. He feels healthier than he has in quite some time. So I think all of the content to ahead this week coming out of the bye, and you should get the best version of the Kentucky offense that you've seen all season. Just today, we're going to play our style of football, mixing in the run and the pass, the play-action pass, and then the explosive plays, okay? Whether that be shorter passes with some run after the catch or potentially taking, taking some shots down the field in which you've seen with Will Levis this year, he has been very good with that. Got to take our shots down the field. 
got to be able to go after them a little bit and put some pressure on them. And I guess the last thing I'll bring up um, right now, because I kind of wanted to tie this in, I I slipped my mind there for a second, but I was talking earlier about kind of how this Tennessee defense likes to take a lot of um, barrier built in because they know their offense is just going to come right right back out. So there's a little bit of that margin there for them um, to be able to let up some plays and some points and still be able to come out victorious. Um, obviously, Sam, the beginning of the season, we have we saw Will Levis get hit at a, and sacked at a high rate. Um, he and the offensive line have done a better job of avoiding those, those sacks and things of that nature. Um, last week was probably the best we've seen all week with just one sack. Obviously, he took the big hit on his shoulder, but that's kind of part of the game. That wasn't – it is what it is. I kind of said that on the last the last episode, but, you know, it is what it is. The one sack was, was good to see. Um, they're going to come after Will this weekend, and so, you know – Will has been good against the Blitz this year. When he has been pressured, he has been able to pick apart defenses. When we get the ball out quickly and efficiently. When he holds on to the ball too long and he doesn't throw it, that's when we start to get ourselves into some trouble when he gets sacked. He's been hit a few times, fumbled a few times. Um, but as far as the the pressure and the Blitz has gone, he has actually been very accurate very efficient and created some explosive plays um, from the quarterback position, hitting receivers, tight ends, things of that nature when the pressure is on. So to kind of wrap this all up, Sam, I think, you know, we've kind of beat, beat it to death at this point, but we just got to play our game, man. And we got to be able to hit the explosive limit, limit the turnovers. And if we can do all of those things, I think we are definitely going to put ourselves in a position to potentially have a chance to win this football game. We will see what happens. I have been anticipating Saturday night all week. It is only Wednesday. I just, damn, I feel like you're in the same boat as me. The anxiety levels are rising. We just cannot wait to get to this football game. So with that being said, I think that we are going to wrap up for the night. That is all that we have. But what me and Sam are going to do is we are going to be back on Saturday morning and we are going to have a episode out for you guys. We're going to predict the game on Saturday any last minute news, notes, things surrounding the game, keys to the game, anything else that we can learn and bring to the attention of you all, we will do that. We will get everyone excited and hyped up for the matchup down in Knoxville. So we will be back Saturday. I'm just looking at the time now. We are almost at an hour and a half. So we definitely need to get out of here. Saturday's episode will be much, much, much shorter, and we will get you just as excited for this matchup against Tennessee. Appreciate you guys listening. Sam, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for helping me break all this down, for bringing this great content to all of the listeners, and I will see you next time, my friend. Go Cats. There's only one thing left to say. Oh!
C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats.